This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. Well, take your copy of God's Word and turn with me this morning to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs 1, we began our series through the book of Proverbs last week with an introduction, kind of laying a foundation to the book. This morning, we will be looking at Proverbs 1, verses 1 through 7. Proverbs 1, 1 through 7. There was this old skit that was on television, probably about 15 years ago or so, where Bob Newhart was playing a psychiatrist. You may have seen this. A lady walks into his office and she needs help. And the first thing Bob Newhart does is explain how the practice works, specifically the billing. He says the way this works is it's $5 for the first five minutes and absolutely nothing after that. He said, is that okay? And she goes, well, it's more than okay. It's too good to be true. She says, what if we go more than five minutes? He said, I almost guarantee you we will not go more than five minutes. He says, so tell me what's going on with you today. And she proceeds to tell him that she's terrified of being buried alive in a box. He says, well, has anyone ever tried to bury you alive in a box? She says, no, but just the thought of it is terrifying to me. It absolutely consumes me. I think about it all the time. And the problem is I can't go inside of a house. I can't go inside of a tunnel. I can't go inside of an elevator because I'm always terrified I'm going to be buried alive. She says, I can't go into anything boxy at all. And he says, okay. I'm going to give you two words, and I want you to take these two words. I want you to write them down, and uh, I want you to remember them, and I want you to take them into your everyday life. She says, okay. He looks at her, and he says, stop it. <laughs> just stop it. She says, what? Yeah, just stop it. What are you, some kind of nut? Do you want to spend the rest of your life being afraid that you're going to be buried alive in a box? It's terrifying. Just stop it. She says, what do you mean? And he says, you know, it's amazing how many people come to this office. I give them these two words and they ask me, what do I mean? What I mean is two words. First word, S-T-O-P. Second word, I-T. Stop it. Don't do it anymore. She then proceeds to give him her other problems in every single one. He says, well, just stop that too. Just stop doing these things. They get to three minutes and uh, she wants to give him just $3, but he doesn't make change. So they go for the whole five minutes and everything goes just like that. I think it's funny in part because every counselor and every pastor has had times in their life when she just wanted to say to someone, well, just stop it. That's stupid. Don't do that anymore. Like, that's a terrible thing to do. Just stop it. But I think it's even funnier because we know the reality that nothing in life really seems to be that simple. So often when someone comes to me to talk about kind of what's going on in their lives and I'm listening to them and I'm feeling the weight of what they're going through and I feel the heaviness. Most often what's happening is while I'm listening to them at the same time, I'm praying, God, you really have to help me because I have no idea what to say. God, this is really hard. This is really painful. And I need you to help me in this moment to know how to navigate this because there is really no clear answer to this. And God has been gracious to give us his moral will. What that means is God, through his word, has given us very clear instruction on things that we are to do and things that we are not to do. There are a lot of things in the word of God that really just need two words. Stop it. Because we know we don't have to pray about that. 
I've had people come to my office and say, I feel like the Lord's leading me to lead my wife. And I say, I assure you that's not true. There are certain things that are just clear and unclear. And so we navigate those things. But yet, listen, isn't it amazing how the vast majority of things in our life just are not that simple? The vast majority of things in our life are extremely complicated. They're extremely difficult. We search the word of God and we don't see any clear direction. We go to our pastor to ask. And what we don't know is he's in his mind praying, God, help me to know, because I don't know either way. Most things in life are like that. Life is really hard. And life is really complicated. And it's filled with people and circumstances and issues that we wish God would just take away. But what I'm here to show you today is that every one of those things that maybe you wish God would take are really a gift to invite you to himself where he will show you the way of wisdom. This is why we need wisdom. This is why we need to seek and pursue the wisdom that God has for us. And that's really what verses one through seven do. Verses one through seven are really there at the very beginning to show us what this wisdom is, to give us confidence in this wisdom, and then to motivate us to pursue it. You really are to come at the end of this text, these first seven verses, and go, I need that, and I want that, and would you tell me how to get it? Which is everything this text, this text has. It, it has this awareness of how good this is and what a great gift God has given us in giving us this wisdom. And then to show us at the end, there is a way that this can be yours. There is a way that you can know how to navigate life for your good and for God's glory in a way that gives you some kind of understanding that is not normal. It has to come from above. And it's the wisdom God wants to give you. Look at what it says in the first seven verses there. If you're there, say amen. Let me read those. Proverbs 1, verses 1 through 7. It says this. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction. To understand words of insight. To receive instruction in wise dealing. In righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple. Knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now verses 2 through 4 really show us all that this book has to offer us. But before that, we have a verse that might seem inconsequential, but the reality is verse 1 exists not just to give us information, but to give us confidence. It really continues, as we talked about last week, to give us a foundation, but even more than a foundation, to help us to understand before we dive into this book that there's a reason that we should believe this. And there's a way in which we should think about this. And we should have confidence that this wisdom is exactly what we need. All of that coming out of that first verse. So let me tell you what we get about wisdom from the first verse. The first thing we get is this. This wisdom, write this down, is from God. This wisdom is from God. It is what distinguishes this book of wisdom from any other book of wisdom. This is a book of wisdom from God. And we know that because of the first four words. These are the Proverbs of Solomon. You probably know the story, but the story can be found in 1 Kings chapter 3. Solomon is 20 years old, and he's asked to follow his father, who had just died, to be the king of Israel. 
His father was an incredible king, very well loved and very well respected. And not only were the expectations high, but the calling on his life was significant, not only as the king of the people of God to lead them in the way of righteousness, but David wanted to build a temple, but God wouldn't let him. And so what God said to David is, David, you, you just provide everything that's needed to build this temple. Your son is going to build the temple. So day one, Solomon comes into office with this awareness of this massive and overwhelming task that has been given to him. Apart from the task of leading the people and judging the people and moving the people in the right direction, there's this task of building the house of the Lord. Solomon feels, as all of us would, extremely overwhelmed by this. And so the Lord comes to him in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5, and says, Ask what I shall give you. Solomon, what do you want right now? And what he says is incredible. 1 Kings 3, starting in verse 6. Listen, and Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept him, this great and steadfast love, have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. He said, God, God, you gave him a son, and that son is me. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father. And listen to this. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your, stead, your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitudes. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this, your great people? What I think about when I read that passage is, have you ever felt like Solomon? Have you ever come to any circumstance or any person in which you thought to yourself, I have absolutely no idea how to do what you've called me to do? And God, I'm trusting that you put this person in my life. I'm trusting that you want me to make this decision. I'm trusting you in this circumstance. But Solomon is 20 years old with a lot of foundation that he received from the family around him. And yet he comes into this moment and says, I'm but a child. I don't even know how to go out or come in. No less lead the people. No less build a tabernacle. I don't even know how to get out the door and get back in the door. Have you ever felt like Solomon? I'd like, I'd like a little bit. I know it's, I know. I'd like a little bit more response. Have you ever felt like Solomon? Yes. yes. Like this is good news for us. We feel this way all of the time. God, I have no idea how to do this. So he says, God, what I need from you is I need your wisdom. I just need to know. And then look at God's response. It's in 1 Kings 3.10. It says, it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall rise after you. And then turn the next page to 1 Kings 4, starting in verse 29. 1 Kings 4, 29. It says, and here's a key verse, 1 Kings 4, 29. And God gave Solomon wisdom. Who gave Solomon wisdom? Who gave Solomon wisdom? And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding, listen to this, beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand of the seashore. He had wisdom, knowledge, and understanding of breath like the sand of the seashore so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. 
For he was wiser, listen to this, he was wiser than all other men. Wiser than Ethan, the Ezraite, and Heman, and Calcol, and Darda, and the sons of Mahal. And his fame was in all the surrounding nations. Here's verse 32. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. In the last verse of 1 Kings 4, and people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. So listen, you can read, this is the Proverbs of Solomon, but it's the wisdom of God. These are the Proverbs of Solomon. So he wrote 3,000 Proverbs given to him by God, and some of those are recorded here. This is the wisdom that comes directly from God, and that's significant for us. It's significant for us to know that what we have here is the way in which God has instructed us to live a life for our good and for his glory. This wisdom is from God. The second thing from verse 1 is this. This wisdom is for God's people. This wisdom is for God's people. I get that from the fact that this is Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. So he was to be, we talk about this a lot from John 7, this rivers of living water pouring into us and these rivers of living water flowing out of us. And so it is that God gave Solomon wisdom that he might receive it and that he might give it to the people he's been called to lead. And that is the people of God. Now let me tell you something. Anybody lost, no matter what religion, anybody, if they read the book of Proverbs every day and did what it said, would just be better off. Even if they didn't understand God or didn't understand that this was for the people of God, they would just be better off because this is the way that life works. And there's things that they would apply and it would help them avoid some dumb decisions and life would be better. But this book is not for them. This book is for you. This book is for me. This is specifically for the people of God. One of the prayers I pray a lot is from Psalm 23. God, lead me in the path of righteousness for your name's sake. Well, how do I know what the paths of righteousness are? Because God has given us the paths here. This wisdom is for you specifically for those who know the Lord, who have chosen the path of wisdom. I think a lot about 2 Peter 1.3. Write that down. 2 Peter 1.3. God has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Everything you need for life, everything you need for marriage, everything you need for parenting, everything you need for decision-making, everything you need for school, everything you need for work, everything you need for moral purity, everything you need for temptation. Can I keep going? Every single thing you need, everything you need for life and godliness is found in the knowledge of God. And a lot of it is found right in the book of Proverbs. This is for you. This is wisdom from God. It's wisdom for God's people. The third thing is this. This is wisdom for God's glory. Make sure you get this down. This is wisdom for God's glory. I'm reading through the book of Deuteronomy right now, and I'm amazed. All of those laws that we tend to read really quickly and maybe just skip were given because God's desire has always been not to just bring a people to himself, but to make that people look like no other people on the face of the earth. That they would look distinct. And the reason he wants a distinct people, because he wants the nations to be drawn to them by their distinction and ultimately to come to him and to know him and to give him glory. And so here, here's why we have the book of Proverbs. Is that so your marriage would not like look like the marriage of the lost people next door. So your parenting would not look like the parenting of everybody else on your kid's soccer team. 
So the way in which you talk to people at work would be distinct from the way that lost people talk to people. The way you deal with conflict, the way you make decisions, all of those things are distinct because God wants your life to be lived for his glory. He wants you to look different. And the reason you need this wisdom, contrary to any other wisdom that is out there, is because although that wisdom might help you, it will not lead you to live a life for the glory of God. And this book exists that your life might be so distinct that people that know you or are around you end up praising God and maybe even coming to the Lord because they've seen how different your life is. That's what this is about. It has this evangelistic purpose. Your life for his glory. Attracting lost people to you because of the wisdom that you have. Isn't this what happened with Solomon? People came from all over the world to get the the wisdom of, of Solomon. So there are two parts to this. Listen, this wisdom exists for you to live a life that is best and good. But it also exists for you to live a life for God's glory. And so part of this is about you. And listen, it is good and right for you to pursue wisdom because you want life to go better. That's good. Like it is good for you to say, I trust God's way is the best way. I'm gonna live my life this way and pursue this because this is the way life works best. That's exactly how you should pursue this. But you also pursue it because you say, God, you have called me and created me and saved me in your image for your glory. I want my life to be distinct. And this is the way we learn how to do that. From God, for you, for his glory. And then he begins to show us the way in which that's possible. It's there in verses two through four. So verses two through four basically give us nine descriptions of the kind of wisdom that God has given us, the things that are available to us. And it is this little chunk of scripture right here that is supposed to make you think how much you need this and want this. What I want to do is I just, I really just want to give you six kind of of the key things here. We could go through all nine. I just want to give you six very quickly and, and show you what they mean. The first one there in verse two, you see the word wisdom. The word wisdom. This book is to give us wisdom. If you want to define wisdom, here it is. Wisdom is the skill of living. Skill is the one word I would say for you to say. It's skill. Being skilled at life, knowing how to live and knowing how to make right choices when the choice is not best. You need skills to know how to do that. One of the best examples of this is in Exodus 31. Bezalel had an incredible job description. His, his title was incredible. He was chief artisan. Isn't that cool? Like, hey, what do you do? I'm a pastor. What do you do? I'm a chief artisan. God, so awesome. Chief artisan. What it says is this. It says God had called him and equipped him to build the Ark of the Covenant. That piece of furniture that would last from generation to generation, that piece of furniture which is supposed to be so beautiful that even the look of it would cause you to think that there is wisdom behind it. That piece of furniture that may still be hidden somewhere. We don't know. People are still trying to find it. You know what it said? It said, God gave Bezalel wisdom to build it. You know what it means? God gave him skill. God literally gave him practical skill. Like God gave him the skill to know how to put this thing together and make it beautiful and make it last. God gave them skill to build furniture. And what it's saying right here is what the book of Proverbs does is gives you that kind of skill, but in life. Have you ever known someone that seemed like they had no skills in life? Like they did not know how to navigate this life. They just made a bigger mess all of the time. We need skills to know how to do the right thing and make the right choices and discern the will of God. And this promise of wisdom that is offered here is the promise of skills. Knowing how to live, the skill of living. 
The next word I want you to see there is the next word there, instruction. To give wisdom and instruction. So if wisdom is skill, instruction is training. I would say training for life and training from life. Training for life and training from life. It's really saying that this wisdom exists for you like a personal trainer. Or you might even say like a life coach. A life coach who is speaking into your life, who is warning you and training you and preparing you and rebuking you and helping you. Like all along the way, you have someone who is training you for the life ahead. Someone who knows better than you know. Someone who's been there before you've been there and someone who's just saying, listen, let me just, let me help you train you a little bit about how to live this life in a way that is good and right. But the reason I say training for life and from life is because this wisdom also exists to help you learn from your mistakes so you don't do them again. It's training from life. This wisdom allows us to take the difficult things that we have experienced and maybe the things done to us or maybe the things we've done ourselves, and helps us to know the lessons we need to learn from them. It prevents us from just continuing the cycle of the same mistakes. Have you ever been frustrated that you've made the same mistake more than once? Anybody ever been frustrated by that? Like this idea here of instruction keeps you from that. I was texting one of our football coaches at school early this morning because I wanted to talk to him about this. We, we used to talk about helicopter parents. You know helicopter parents? Kind of a term we use these days. Like these parents that are just hovering over their kids all of the time. And uh, there's just no freedom there. They're not letting their kids, like they're afraid of everything. They're just hovering all of the time. It's a, it's a great way to make super dysfunctional kids. So you just hover all of the time. No, 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 you can't. No, you can't all of that. But I remembered our coach saying something, and I asked him if I got this right. He said, the problem we have in school now is not helicopter parents, it's weed-eater parents. Weed-eater parents are those who walk the path before their kids and clear the way so that their kids don't have to experience anything hard. Weed-eater parents. I can't tell you how true that is. Like, our, our, our fear that our kids would make any mistake and certainly we're pro protecting them and helping them, but we're also knowing that they're going to make mistakes. And one of the primary ways that God grows you as a follower of Jesus Christ and a human being is being instructed by the mistakes that you've made. I can't tell you how many parents immediately come to the defense of their kids all the time and cannot just say, you're right, my kids did something dumb. I'm sorry, my kid did something dumb. Instead, there's this constant, no, you're wrong. My kid wouldn't have done that. Your kid did that. And it was really dumb. And the best thing for you to do right now is be quiet and just help them learn from this moment. Stop weed eating, right? And so I think what we have here is we have God who is navigating through this life who does not remove every possible difficulty from our life, right? He does not remove every challenge. He does not remove every obstacle. But what he's doing is he's allowing us to learn by the grace of God from everything that happens in our life. And that's the instruction that is given to us here. The third word is the word insight. So wisdom is skill and instruction is training. Insight, the meaning of that is right there in the word. It's the ability to see things clearly. It's seeing. It's the ability to see things clearly. To see what others do not see. Not everything is black and white. I looked this up, our computers are able to show us 256 different shades of gray. I feel like most of life falls into one of those 256 shades of gray. Like so much of life is just not clear. 
And so what this allows us to do is not just to be able to see right and wrong, which we should, but to see what's best. To say, I don't want to do this thing just because it's, it's allowable. God will allow me to do that. But I want to do the wise thing. I want to do the best thing. I want to do the thing which will produce the best result. And this insight that God wants to give us is the ability to see situations and choices and conflicts and decisions in such a way where we know how to make a good, best, right decision. To see things and know how to do what's best. Look at the fourth word there. It's, it's there in verse 3. To receive instruction. These two words, in wise dealing. So the word I would give to this is the word purpose. Wise dealing means to live purposefully and strategically. This one blessed me this week. To live purposefully and strategically. And I love that it's followed with these words in righteousness, justice, and equity. In other words, in the way of righteousness, in the way that is right, in the way that is good, I I want to live purposefully and strategically for the glory of God. I want my life to matter. I want my life to be significant. I want to be strategic about the things that I do. I don't want to just make a lot of haphazard decisions. I want these things to matter. I want to have a sense of direction. I want to have a sense of significance and purpose. That's wise dealings. I looked it up this week. Purpose Driven Life sold 30 million copies. Doesn't that say to you that people are looking for some sense of purpose? They're looking for some direction. They want to be strategic with their life. They're tired of just existing. If you're tired of just existing and you want to live with some purpose and strategy, well, that's what it offers here. Instruction in wise dealings in that kind of life. Look at the next one. It's in verse four, the word prudence. To give prudence. Prudence is plans. It's the ability to make good plans that lead to success. It's the ability to make good plans that lead to success. Now, here's where these things are connected, okay? So, wise dealing would be this ability to live purposefully and strategically, to know what is right to do. But then prudence is like this ability to actually make it happen. It's the ability to to make good plans that lead you to success. Let me ask you something. Have you ever known anyone that always had a good idea, that always had the next best thing, that always had something that was going to make them money, that always had a great idea and nothing ever happened? You ever known somebody like that? What's missing is prudence. They do not have the ability to take that which could be a good idea and make a plan so that it can become a reality. So they just have a a thousand ideas or a a thousand opportunities and nothing ever happens. It's prudence. And so praise God that prudence is something God wants to give us. He wants to say, I want to give you a sense of purpose. And then I want to show you how every day you can make the plans that lead to that kind of life. Isn't that awesome that God would give us that? It's funny. These are the kind of things that we think God has nothing to say about. Like these are the things that we think, well, I've got to find some leadership book on this. I'm telling you, you have a leadership book right here. To tell you how to live a life, you have a purpose book. You have a strategy book. You have a plan book. Prudence. The last one is this. I I don't want to miss this one in verse 4. Discretion. To give prudence to the simple and knowledge and discretion to the youth. And, And here's why this is important. Because discretion is really avoidance. It's the ability to avoid the harm of foolishness. The ability to avoid the harm of foolishness. So we said last week, there's, there's only two ways to live, the way of wisdom and the way of folly. And it's just like Matthew 7, the way of life and the way of the death. So if you choose the way of folly, you will bring more harm to yourself. You will bring more harm to yourself. If you choose the way of wisdom, you will be walking in the way towards life. 
So all day today, I felt so burdened for students. And what I mean is those of you, listen, any of you who are still, raise your hand if you're still in the home of your parents or under the authority of your parents, all right? If you're still on their health insurance, raise your hand right here. If they're still paying your car, oh, a lot more hands went up. They're paying your car insurance and your meal plan. Raise your hand. All right, that's good. That's what I mean by under the authority of your parents. They're still paying for everything. The reason God gave you parents is because you don't have a clue what you're doing. Listen to me. This is the way God designed this. And the saddest thing is, is this spirit, because the opposite of this idea of discretion is rebellion. Rebellion is saying, I don't care what you say. Your way is not the right way. I'm gonna go my way. And when I choose to rebel against those who have godly authority over me, then the result is you're just bringing more harm upon yourself because you don't know. They know better and God has given the authority over your life. And in as much as you submit to their godly authority and you walk in the instruction they have given you, to that degree, you're protecting yourself from a measurable harm that you can't even comprehend later in life. How many of you, let's the rest of us raise your hand, they're a little bit older, wish you would have listened to certain instruction when you were young and not have made certain mistakes that you're paying for, even if it's just mentally right now? Okay, keep them up. Everybody that raised your hand the first time, look. We wish we would have listened. I feel that all the time. I think, God, why, why did I not listen to that? Why did I choose to think that I know better and walk in my own way? I still deal with the consequences of foolish mistakes that I made. And here it is. Discretion is God's ability to keep you from all of the consequences of the way of foolishness. You just have to listen. And listen, you don't have to understand it. You just have to do it. You don't have to understand it. You don't have to argue about it. You just do it because you trust that it's the right way and somebody knows more than you know. And so all of a sudden we have all these things offered to us and what you see is that the 915 verses of Proverbs are the ultimate leadership and purpose and life and productivity book. There is nothing that has ever been written that is any better for any of those purposes than this book. But it's more than that. It's a book that teaches you how you can live the life that God wants you to live. It's a book that can show you how to live life as best. A couple of years ago, God gave me a prayer and I prayed almost every day. And I, it, was, it was driven out of a lot of things. It was driven out of a desire to be used by God, but a desire to not pursue it in a way that is not right or that is ungodly and not pursue success. It's complicated, but I, I just, I wanted to trust the Lord with my life. And what I began to pray is this, God, I pray that you would fulfill every purpose you have for me. I don't know what that is. Fulfill every purpose you have for me. But what I realized this week, my ability to know how to make the decisions that lead to me fulfilling every purpose God has are the decisions that I must make by the wisdom of God. And so building a life on wisdom builds a life that matters, that, that counts, that's, that's significant. And it's offered to everyone. Look, verse four, it's offered to the youth. It's offered to the wise that can hear and increase in learning. And verse five, to the one who understands can have gained guidance. Everyone, it's offered to everyone who knows the Lord that you might know how to live a life that is for your good and for God's glory. And the goal of those verses is to help you want this, to help you to say, I need this. And then the question would be, well, how do you get it? How can you gain access to all of that? And the answer is in verse seven. 
I want you to see verse seven before we close because verse seven, listen, is, listen to me, is the most important verse in the book of Proverbs. I told you chapters one through nine kind of create this introduction and foundation to Proverbs. And this verse is mentioned in one seven and then it's mentioned in chapter nine so that kind of all of one through nine is bracketed with this truth, okay? This is the most important verse in Proverbs. It says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. What we get from verse seven is exactly the way in which we get access to all of this stuff that God has for us. And the answer is first, you have to know who has it. You have to know who has this. If wisdom is a path, listen to this, as we said last week, if wisdom is a path, the fear of the Lord is the gate. How do you get into this path of wisdom where there is wise dealings and prudence and discretion and wisdom and understanding and instruction? Will you go through the gate of the fear of the Lord? Meaning the only ones who have access to the wisdom of God are those who are in a right relationship with God. So here's what I believe fear of the Lord means right here. Write these two words down. Fear of the Lord means humble submission. Humble submission. And I think the posture for it is this. Because what humble submission does is it says, Lord, I don't know what's best. And I don't know the way to go. But you're Lord and I fear you. I honor you. I respect you. I am aware that the power of life and death is in your hand. The power of blessing, the power of cursing is in your hand. I know that all authority is yours. I know you created the world and you know the way the world works best. And I am going to put myself in a position of humble submission. And I'm going to look to you and surrender my life to you and say, Lord, I need you and what you have for me. And the way in which we begin to build a life of wisdom is beginning like this. We're thinking about, I want to move. I want purpose. I want to make progress. That's great. But you don't start by moving. You start by bowing. You start with a submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, if there is a rebellious spirit in your heart, if you are not submitting to the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have yet to acknowledge him as your Lord and Savior, or maybe in so doing, you're still walking in rebellion towards him, there is no hope for you to gain the wisdom of God. Because it begins with this acknowledgement of who God is and who I am. It's humble submission to the Lord. And he says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning. That's how we start. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There is no wisdom without walking in humble submission for the Lord. It's simply saying, Lord, I know what's right. And I know you know, and I'm going to follow you in it. Let me make this clear. Fear the Lord is the Old Testament way of saying, here it is, trust and follow Jesus. That's it. That's our mission. Trust and follow Jesus. So it's saying, Jesus, I trust that you alone can save me from my sins. I trust that you alone know the way to truth. You only know the way to life and you are only the way. So there is no way, truth or life outside of you. And so what I do is I choose to trust you and follow in your ways because I want truth and life and I know the one another way. It's for those who know who has it. And it's for those, listen, here's the last thing, who know they need it. You have to know who has it and you have to know you need it. Please hear verse seven before we go. Please hear verse seven at the very end. A fool despises wisdom and instruction. A fool is someone who doesn't think they need someone else's instruction. A fool is someone who sees the wisdom of God and ignores it and rejects it and chooses not to walk in it. And the fool always closes the door to the pathway to wisdom. 
God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. And everything begins with your awareness that you desperately need what God has to offer. I think how profound it is what Solomon said, I am yet but a child. I don't know how to come in or go out. That's what we say. God, you have this and you alone have it. And I desperately need it. J.I. Packer, the greatest theologian of our generation, right before he died, his last book was on 2 Corinthians and it was called Weakness is the Way. And he was almost completely blind when he wrote this book. A famous theologian, author, read for a living, wrote for a living, taught for a living. He went completely blind. And the whole point of this book was to say this. The means by which God shows his power in your life is by giving you weakness. So I say that to say this to you. That area that's so frustrating because you don't know what decision to make. That relationship that has so much conflict. That one area that, re- that just demands so much attention from you and might be so frustrating. Every one of those areas are a gift because they're driving you to the one who has what you need. And if you didn't have those things, you wouldn't go to him. And you know the reason that God has not simply given you a list of rules and regulations so you always know exactly what to do is because he knew that many of you would just follow it and you would never pursue him. He doesn't want you simply following the rules. He wants you to fall in love with him. He wants you to come close to him. He wants you to need him. Those confusing situations in your life are invitations to get intimate with Jesus Christ, humble yourself, acknowledging his need and receiving what he has for you. They are a gift, inviting you to the one who has everything you need. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.